When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Really, James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Alas, the run came to an end, with the latest James Bond film released only last year. Would this be the end of James Bond? In no time to die. James? Fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. How did that happen? Well, you live long enough. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. She still loves you. Did you know that? What is it? You don't know what this is. Is she one of them? I don't know her at all. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. Have you ever flown one of these things before? Nope. 
do this, there will be nothing left to say. When you're ready. You're late. One nice evening, please, before the world explodes. This is it. I am on my way now to The Rock in Bury to see No Time to Die. Pretty much exactly one year after I saw it at the cinema for the very first time, not knowing what would happen at the end or all the other massive revelations of the film. So it's going to be very interesting watching it again. And I must confess, I haven't seen it since. I saw it twice at the cinema, once with the really 007 lads, and then once with my wife Jennifer. And yeah, I've had a you know possible inkling to watch it again, but never enough to sort of shell out some money or watch it on Amazon. I was thinking about watching it on Amazon instead, but come on, might as well watch it on the big screen. You can hear all our thoughts on that in our various episodes, which were released about a year ago. So we have two No Time to Die first thoughts and those are from both our cinema experiences that I've mentioned and then we've also got our No Time to Die debates so debating No Time to Die and I think we did three or four of those they're all available on iTunes and Spotify so do have a listen maybe it'd be quite interesting listening back to them because we were quite emotive at the time and yeah let's see whether our opinions have changed one year on but for me personally it'll be a sad end to this run of watching Bond on the big screen we've had pretty much I think we've seen all but Spectre well certainly one of the one or more of the really 007 crew has seen everyone apart from Spectre so we, we nearly did it we just missed out so we're a bit gutted about that and it could well be that it's only myself going to the cinema to watch No Time to Die even though it was only a year ago it must be the most divisive Bond film, perhaps not even that, who knows, and I don't know whether its reputation has gone up or down in the 12 months that have passed since it came out, but it took so long to get to the big screen and it took even longer to sort of dismantle and think about after you'd seen it, so who knows what's going to happen tonight. It's a long film, it's two and three quarter hours, plus Mrs Harris goes to Paris trailer and all that, so buckle your seat Tom, I'm going to be having a stiff arse at the end of this and I will come out of the cinema with my thoughts very soon. Hello, it's Sam here. Shock for me to be back. Um, I didn't actually think I'd be able to make this at all, but Tom let me know that they were actually firstly showing No Time to Die on Wednesday rather than Tuesday, and then also during the weekend. So I actually did try to watch it on Wednesday following my time in London. I went to the BF and to the Royal Albert Hall for the events that were taking place there. So I hope hopes that I could get back early enough, but um, I didn't. So I thought, oh, that's it. But then I did check um, in my area, and there's one showing tonight. It's Saturday at the Printworks in Manchester, so I'm going to be heading there later to watch No Time to Die. I'm actually really excited just because I didn't think I'd be able to watch it, and the fact that I that I'm now able to watch it, I'm going to have seen all 25 films back to back after every week is truly <laughs> super gratifying to be honest it's something that i didn't i didn't set out to do at all um but here we are you know i 
got to a point where I had seen all of the films I needed to see at the cinema uh, following uh, my viewing of Die Another Day. So I wasn't, in my mind, super, you know, hyped, thinking, oh yeah, I will watch all of the Craig films. Um, But I have done and I'm going to be watching this last one, and I'm I'm happy. The bad news is, is that now I'm like, okay, now I need to see Casino Royale 67 and Never Say Never Again at the cinema. But that's that's another that's for another time. Hopefully, um, some showings of that will take place somewhere, uh, potentially at the Prince Charles again in London. But we'll see. But yeah, No Time to Die is well. I mean, everyone knows what No Time to Die is at this point super divisive lots of people enjoy it lots of people do not lots of people like a lot of it and don't like a section of it i'm kind of in a mix of all of that you know going into going into it originally last year i was hyped but i was worried you know kind of that that niggly little feeling in the back of your head that oh something's something could be off here and you know in my in my mind it was never it never fully clicks that, you know, Bond could die just because it's not it's not what the franchise does. It's not what this franchise can afford to do. I think once you've done it once, you really can't do it again. You know, you need it. I get it for kind of this film and, and for this era, this story, this alternate timeline. You know, I kind of tend to put Connery to Brosnan in their own pocket universe and then have the Craig storyline in another kind of similar to let's say the Star Trek films for example that the most recent J.J. Abrams series is kind of in a it's linked to the to the main one but it's not it goes in a completely different kind of route so that's how I think of the Craig era which makes me kind of fine with the death because I'm like well the other James Bond the James Bond that was in the other films um is fine (laughs) this one isn't and that's just how i in my mind kind of deal with that although i don't you know wake up in the middle of the night going oh my god james bond's dead um i'm not that affected by it i couldn't understand initially why people would be i definitely was and i was sobbing but you know after time i think time like in real life when someone dies time is truly a healer and i think to just look back at it now and think of what it was trying to do and kind of the, the culmination of 15 years of story. I think it does it okay. I think it definitely could have been better had there been a wider plan, more of a long-term thing. I know what they say about, oh, the death, the death was planned, but I can't buy that. I don't truly believe that. I feel like that's just a way for people to kind of utilize their branding and pr stuff to kind of go oh yeah we were good we we knew what we were doing when it's like no you didn't but that's just my opinion on that but no i actually enjoy no time to die i don't dislike it i like all the craig films there's elements of it that i kind of go oh well i don't love that but in the same token you know the craig era has kind of gone in the trajectory of let's make it more like the classic bond films which i'm all here for so i don't mind the mix of Craig style with elements of more Connery eras, bit of Brosnan, you know. Of course, it's not on the same level at all because that's not what this era of James Bond has been. So I can imagine, and I know that for some people, that it's been quite jarring to kind of have those elements be reintroduced. But really, since Skyfall, though, that's been happening. So it could only really go this way. You couldn't strip it back again like with Casino Royale. 
I'm going to go into this tonight thinking just enjoy it because this is going to be the last one that I'll be seeing on the big screen for a while. Um, hopefully, <laughs> um, it has been it has been an effort to make all of these each week, but I want to enjoy it. I this there is a lot that I like, and I think especially after I don't want to I don't want to plug it too much because you know I I know <laughs> I know not everyone had the opportunity to be there. Um, but hopefully those who saw the Amazon Prime um, highlights video of the Sound of Diblo 7 concert, the Royal Albert Hall, seeing Hans Zimmer and David Arnold kind of just mash out on guitars to to the Bond theme and specifically the use of the Bond theme in uh, No Time to Die, it was just, it brought such a smile to my face. So to to hear that piece in the film and just see that I think will will be really really good. And of course, to see the Cuba scene once again, it's the it's the best scene of the film for me. Adore it. Adore everything everything about it. I think there's nothing that I would change. Not the eyeball. Not the music. Not Anna Diarmas. Not the weird Spectre dying thing. Weird. Even though I think that's very questionable, I wouldn't change it because I just I enjoy it so much. So loving that. I'm gonna. Yeah, just 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 appreciate it. Um, we've been very lucky here in the UK to to get these. And although No Time to Die only came out last year, it's it's going to be nice to be able to see this on the big screen once again. For me, it'll be the fourth time seeing this. So I hope everyone who is seeing it again has a wonderful time. And I will be back with final thoughts. Hello, this is Noel here from Dublin, and I'm sitting in my car outside the cinema. It's the 5th of October, 2022, about 25 past 7, and it's James Bond's birthday. And what better way to spend that than going to see the movie where he gets killed off at the end. That's no time to die, by the way. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing the pre-title. It's, it's a great bit of cinema. The lead-up to the graveyard scene, I've always thought, is brilliantly economical, but effective. At setting up where Bond and Madeline are in their relationship without it ever feeling forced. There's a lot of feeling in that pre-title sequence. One of the things I've always liked about Craig's Bond has been uh, his sparse dialogue throughout his time. The scene in this movie where he's standing in front of Vesper's grave and just simply says, I miss you. I always found that quite powerful actually and really cuts through all the overcomplicated dialogue that can go with trying to explain how people are feeling. So there's a lesson in that, maybe. As for the rest of the film, um, apart from the Havana sequence, it never really breaks new ground. Bond's retirement to the Bahamas and the extended part in London kind of resembles a, a sort of Skyfall Part 2 vibe. Even the music which leads into him revealing the Aston, uh, it sounds a lot like New Digs from Skyfall and this is before we get to the Bond theme accompanying his spin around London again I do feel the London section is a real waste of screen time and it, it leans a bit too much into the MI6 family I've become a little bit cynical about this belief that it's all about the character dynamics and seeing Q etc yes it, it is all rather lovely seeing them all together and there's a nice bit of warmth to it but that kind of stuff to me is the icing on the cake and it, it shouldn't be about that it should be about the cake itself now when I say cake I mean plot, incident, story, twists and turns everything Spectre had or at least attempted the whole thing kind of feels like a bizarre episode of The Office in this film the Blofeld scene is dreadfully handled and very underwhelming Bond disrespecting M still feels a bit poorly judged to me, even if Bond isn't an MI6 agent. 
I only realised recently that the Norway scene in Madeline's house is actually Bond's last night on the planet. And I've always liked the perfection of it, and I, I think that's probably deliberate. Bond gets to play dad and happy families, and the next morning he's able to make his daughter her breakfast for the first and the last time. And even the chase scene that happens after that, it, it's almost like a, a typical Sunday drive in the country, but, but with guns. And then the film essentially takes us to the, the end of the Daniel Craig era. So I better go in, get my supplies. I'm looking forward to it. So. This is it. This is it. How will I know that you're okay? You won't. I'll never see you again. Yet again, I take this time on No Time to Die. I, like everyone else, was chewing at the bit for this film to be released. The saga behind the making and release of this film was worthy of a movie documentary itself. What we resultantly waited six years for was finally released. I've kept my notes on what my initial reaction was for No Time to Die, and here they are. It's very difficult to rate No Time to Die amongst all the others because like Casino Royale when first released, it makes all the past Bond films other than Craig's not irrelevant, but just in a different league. Within the Craig series, it doesn't have the cutting edge or physical jeopardy of Casino, nor the feeling of finding new ground within the Fleming traits of Skyfall. Yet what No Time to Die has in abundance is emotion, and this film does achieve in completing a story which, let's face it, wasn't in mind when Casino Royale was being made. The pre-title sequence is one of the best, possibly THE best of the lot, and I have to say, like Spectre, all other action sequences within this film pale in comparison to it. The main titles are superb and enhances Billie Eilish's theme song beautifully. The film as a whole tries to tick many boxes, it's Fleming referenced and has fantastical elements of past Bond films, however I still think it's too long and some bits could have been trimmed. You must see it at least twice, I did get more out of it second time and after just seeing it the third time now, my enthusiasm hasn't waned at all. It does cover the shortcomings of Spectre in terms of plot, character and relationships. I will say here and now that this is Daniel's most layered performance as Bond, possibly the best single performance of Bond in any Bond film. The cast is terrific, Leia Sadu is fantastic, I think Rami Malek is good, yet he does fall under the shadow of Le Chiffre and Silver, who both raise the bar so high. I think Ray Fiennes and Ben Whishaw give their finest performances in the series, and if there was ever an argument to make a spin-off movie within the franchise, a Nomi film written by Waller Bridge would be the one. The direction is efficient and solid, the script is sharp, yet the influences aren't seamless, which does make it feel like it's been written by a committee at times. Within the Craig movies, this is third on the list, but this may rise in time, which of course, this doesn't have yet. In trying to put this amongst the others, it's safe to say it's a top-tier Bond film for sure. I did say at the first time of viewing, that this film is like a huge chocolate fudge cake, yet it tastes like a Victoria sponge. I'll stick by that. Victoria sponges are my absolute favourite, but it's as near as. But now time has passed and the dust has settled, and the lines under my eyes have multiplied like rabbits. I still believe it has the best pre-title sequence of all the Bond films, and everything else thereafter within this film can't match it. 
a near 30-minute mini-movie combining horror, threat, mystery, romance, action, shock and a train platform farewell. The rest of the film just doesn't hit those heights, and as for Bond's demise, it was a shock in that I didn't think that they would have the bottle to do it, even though it had been suggested in certain quarters. But the thing is, I didn't cry. And that's the problem. I'm known to blub at things such as the repair shop, nostalgic snooker musical montages, cold play gigs. I could be accused of being an honorary bedwetter. So having seen this six times in the cinema now, I'm still as dry as a bone, and I can't think of a singular reason why, which is the ultimate reason why this film is not a classic, but it's a fine conclusion to the Craig era. The reasons I can think as to why I don't cry are that the villain, Safin, just isn't strong enough as a character to get under my skin. Let me compare this to the scene in The Untouchables, where Nitty guns down Sean Connery's Malone. That always gets me, so that when Nitty gets his comeuppance, it's so satisfying. With this, you're shocked at Bond finally looking vulnerable, but I don't feel any sense of vengeance or loss. There are so many villains of the piece in this film that there isn't anyone developed enough for me to feel anything for. At the time of release, I heard a couple of comments on the Kermode and Mayo show slating that No Time to Die appeases to blue-rinsed feminists and have made Bond woke. Now, I can understand that certain elements of this film may make Fleming raise an eyebrow or two, but people forget that every actor that has played Bond, and indeed the movies themselves, moved with the times. That's how the franchise has lasted 60 years. Did the Beatles write Love Me Do every day until they split? The days of naked silhouetted ladies and dismissive smacks on ladies' bodies are gone. You can all remember those days with warm nostalgia. They're not going away. Just don't expect them now. However, perhaps one of those elements in making Bond a father, looking back, may have been a bit cynical. Which again makes Bond's passing not as effective as it may have been. Other arguably cynical touches within this film are the Honor Majesty's references, especially within the score of Hans Zimmer, which I really enjoy. It ticks enough Bond-themed boxes without it sounding too generic, and at the same time it isn't too Zimmer-like. I think the way the Honor Majesty's references used in this film work. I remember giving a very audible sigh when We Have All the Time in the World was used when Bond and Swan drive into Matera, and when Swan and Mathiel drive off into the tunnel. Maybe a variation of the 007 theme could have been used as opposed to the Honor Majesty's theme between Bond and M, but it still works. For the situation the franchise was left in after Spectre, the film was put in a rather awkward corner plot and character-wise for the whole era to be satisfactorily concluded. A love relationship which was unbelievable, a villain which was underwhelming and unnecessary, and a curiosity level as to what would happen next as middling. The shortcomings this film had to face were met extremely well indeed under the circumstances. Bond and Swan truly were believable as a couple, even with or without the need of a surprise package. Waltz's Blofeld I much prefer as a shadowy figure a la Hannibal Lecter, and unlike the majority of Bond fans I've heard from, I really like the Bond-Blofeld scene in this film. Of course Bond is not going to act like Bond when crawling and pandering in front of his major nemesis in order to get what he wants so it is going to look weird and fake. The Bond family are partially served well. Ray finds becoming more like Leonard Rossiter when he's put under it, when his great big plan goes awry, and especially when he's cornered by the returning Bond, accusing him of being irrelevant, Miss Jones. Watch Peter Serovich's 
acting masterclass on YouTube. It's a stroke of genius. Ben Whishaw grows ever fonder in my heart as Q, and maybe his demise in the film would have broken my dam. And it can be argued that the promise that Lashana Lynch had in this film wasn't fully reached, but it wasn't her fault. I think without Phoebe Waller-Bridge's involvement in the script, Naomi's character wouldn't have had any lasting effect. I still truly believe that a spin-off is possible for that character, but I think she should have kept the 007 status, and not so readily gave it back. It just feels like a token gesture with no real purpose, given she worked so hard throughout the film to prove she's earned it. Anna de Armas is just wonderful in this, yet is the Cuba sequence surplus to requirements? In fact, there's quite a lot in this film that needs to be trimmed. I said in my Living Daylights review that it feels like a box-ticking exercise. Well, this is the same, only it has more pages. Jeffrey Wright is his usual assured self as Felix, but again, like Bond, his demise just didn't tug any heartstrings. Shortcomings include the character of Valdo, who I just find annoying, and you should stop watching Compare the Market adverts. The character of Logan Ash is just such a wasted opportunity. It's, it's blatantly obvious that he's not on the side of right and virtue. Even Bond and Felix suspect this with the Mormon jibes, which perhaps makes the Felix death unremarkable, as though in a way he asked for it. The remaining action sequences, I have to say, feel rather choreographed, and the seizure and destruction of Safin Island is too PS4 and Xboxy for me. I don't know what Danny Boyle and John Hodge had brought to the table to make Eon suddenly have cold feet about their take on Bond 25, but for the amount of chefs it took for this finished product, taking a Purvis and Wade reject and giving Phoebe Waller-Bridge a welcome touch of spice to proceedings, together with Koji Fukunaga's input and vision, this film could have ended up like Quantum of Solace, a spaghetti junction of a movie. But what we do have is a film that for the first 30 minutes is absolutely perfect, and for the remaining two and a half hours is hit and miss making me feel rather bloated after eating too much spaghetti. Where has the last six months gone? 25 films, or in my case 20, have been an absolute joy to sit through where they should be shown. Of course, the films I got the most from watching are the ones I hadn't seen on the big screen before, especially Russia, You Only Live Twice and Moonraker, as well as the films I deem as the classics of the series, Goldfinger, Majesty, Spy, etc., and the film that started it all off for me, Octopussy. I'm too stuck in my ways for my list of preference to change considerably after this run. However, here is my list of official James Bond films, from the least to the most favourite. In order to save time, I'll try and do this in the speed in which you hear the terms and conditions on radio adverts. So here it goes. 25, die another day. 24, diamonds are forever. 23, tomorrow never dies. 22, spectre. 21, thunderball. 20, quantum of solace. 19, the world is not enough. 18, golden eye. 17, moonmaker. 16, the man with the golden gun. 15, no time to die. 14, a view to a kill. 13, you only live twice. 12, the living daylight. 11, live and let die. 10, octopussy. 9, license to kill. 8, doctor no. 7, for your eyes only. 6, the spy who love me. 5, goldfinger. 4, skyfall. 3, honor majesties. 2, from much with love. Number 1, casino royale. Hope you got that. When the end credits were shown for the first time I saw No Time to Die, I thought, that's it. It's over. Eon will sell. Even the very late showing of James Bond will return felt a little redundant. But he will return, up to the 75th anniversary at least. Which does raise the question, who would I want as the next James Bond, and what would I want in the next James Bond film? I would be resigned to accept Henry Cavill may be the next Bond, but he certainly wouldn't stir the juices, for me, the standout names are James Norton, Richard Madden, Aidan Turner, and Tom Brittany. Maybe even Jamie Dornan. 
I hope that the next set of Bond films will not be one continuous story, unless they have the same writer and director to devise and see the whole thing through. Given Warner's recent announcement of their distribution of the films from Bond 27 onwards, my personal wish for Christopher Nolan to helm a Bond trilogy would look more possible, especially as his latest film, Oppenheimer, is distributed by Universal next year, who are to distribute Bond 26. But how much control would Eon give him? I don't want any retro Bond films. Bond should be in the present, and not looking back. In fact, rocket science shouldn't be applied here. I would rather have standalone Bond films leaning more towards a Connery approach, straight with a slight tongue-in-cheek, to show Mr. Cruz and that other lot how to make movies of this type the right way. I'd like to finally finish by thanking the guys at Really007 for putting these ramblings on the airwaves. To have the opportunity to share my thoughts and memories of these films have been a joy. The other joy that I've had, especially me and my wife, is guessing when Gary Kay will say the word cinema sound system in his reviews. We always guess as to what time in the review he says those words. The wife always wins, unfortunately. But anyway, my only exposure to social media outlets is Facebook which probably went out with the arc nowadays. So I don't know how my wafflings have gone down, but whether you agree or not, I hope I've been entertaining, and maybe our paths may cross again. Keep up the good work, guys, and to all of you, all the best. You seem like a man who's gagging for some action, Mr Bond. Shall we cut to the chase? I'm here as a professional courtesy. Well, you're not very courteous, are you? You've broken my car. It's Commander Bond. You know that. Double O? Two years. Very young. High achiever. Oh, Jesus Christ. The world's moved on since you retired, Commander Bond. Perhaps you didn't notice. No, can't say I had. And in my humble opinion, the world doesn't change very much. You had to say that. Look, this all seems like heaven. This little bubble, or whatever. <laughs> but it's so obvious you're a man who only has time to kill. Nothing to live for. Zavado Oprachev is off limits. You get in my way? I will put a bullet in your knee. The one that works. You need to ask yourself a few more questions. MI6, CIA, chasing after the same man, not communicating with each other. That's not good. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? Tell him hello, but I don't work for him anymore. Tell him yourself. By the way, I'm not just any old double O. I'm double O seven. You probably thought they'd retire it. It's just a number. Huh. Yeah. See you in Cuba. Hey Bond fans, how's it going? This is the Northern Eagle of me here. Hope you well. So yeah, I went to watch the uh, the final one on this section of 25 films in the cinema on Sunday. And again, I went to the old Union Manchester. Uh, back in the day, I uh, uh, well, last year, of course, I went to watch this uh, a couple of days after it was out, because it actually it was out on my birthday and I was on holiday at the time. So I went to watch it a couple of days later that following weekend at the, uh, uh, the View in Manchester at the IMAX. Uh, I just paid more for the IMAX. And I just love the start of the film with the James Bond theme. You know, it's just like classic stuff. And uh, you always get goosebumps with a new Bond film because uh, even Spectre still feels fairly new to me when I watch it again, particularly in the cinema. So you still get new bits that you've not uh, 
they haven't sunk in yet so it's always nice to see and uh, I knew this flashback with younger Madeline you know uh, back in the day will be at the start of the film I could just tell that was going to be a thing but that's just so well done it's uh, just so just scary and uh, and good you know and uh, obviously staffing is uh, you know good to see at the start of the film I do love the bit with you know in Italy Matera when they go there because we obviously all knew this was a location and that bit alone is one of the best bits of the film and uh, I know a lot of people say that uh, particularly in the square when they're shooting at the car you know with the glass she's just absolutely shouting at Bond to do something and then he just uh, he's obviously still pissed off at her for what's happened just the little bits in that scene just jumping back to the bit with Vesper's tomb you know when he gets deafened for a minute or so I just think that's so well done by by Kerry and um I absolutely superb and the uh, you know the chase is obviously good and done well with the stunts and stuff I do like the theme you know it obviously goes into the theme well I always think these themes sound better and make more sense when you're watching it with the titles and this is another one of those that does that I think with some of these themes it always takes me a bit of time to get used to the uh, to get used to it you know because it's still new and uh, I think with Skyfall that was one where I just immediately loved it and just bought it on iTunes just the same day it was out uh, with the last couple of things, it's uh, things. It's just taking me a little bit of time to get used to the both of them, and uh, they're both good. I do prefer Sam's uh, song, you know, Inspector, over this one. But Billy's still got a good voice, and uh, with all the Hans Zimmer music and Johnny Marr doing the guitar, you know, it's all good stuff. And uh, it just there's so many songs in my Bond chart which I've done lately, you know, Bond uh, theme chart that I've done that sit above it. They're just uh, there's too many better ones than this for it to be uh, up up there in the the top half, but. No, it's still good and I'm starting to like it more and more. I loved a bit with the, the lab at the start. I just wish they'd followed that up with the uh, Blofeld getting out of prison at the start. I mentioned that to a few pals on one Twitter and they think the same thing, that they don't, the stakes just so high at the start of the film if they just had Blofeld uh, get out of Belmash at the start. And personally, that's that's one change I would make to the film. You know, the bit in Jamaica is superb, obviously paying lip service to uh, early Bond, you know, in Ian Fleming. And uh, you obviously get to see Nomi. Uh, she got a lot of stick before this film. They were obviously concerned that she was going to be a, a female Bond and that would, what that would mean and entail. But I like her in this, you know, uh, Lashana. I think she's excellent. And uh, it, it makes for good tension with Bond because obviously Bond's jacked it all in and, uh, and pissed off to Jamaica. So uh, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't they have somebody actually come into his, uh, his double O? Uh, if that's an issue for you with a 007 number, uh, you need to get over yourself, to be honest. You know, it's just, it's still just a film, isn't it? Just, it's just a number. I do love the fact when they give it back to him later on that she actually um, instigates that. So that is, that is good. Um, but you didn't have to do it in the first place. You could have just left it as it was and have just make him another double O. But yeah, there you go. As soon as I heard that Felix was going to be in it and uh, you could get the, you know, feeling it was quite a smaller part for Felix as well. Not, not that much in the film. I just knew he was going to get killed off and uh, there was no big uh, big shock there when he actually gets killed off. I think it was handled well and uh, he's, he's definitely been one of the best Felixes, that guy. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. But it still cuts hard when it happens, doesn't it? I knew that Logan Ash would be a baddie, much like with um, you know Max Denby in the film before. You just know that he's dodgy. But he was excellent. I, I enjoyed him on uh, on Sunday when I watched this. A lot of people love the Cube a bit. I mean, that set is absolutely awesome at Pinewood and... Uh, I do love Anna de Armas. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen her in, obviously, uh, quite a lot of films over the last 10 years. And she's just absolutely stunning. So when I heard she was in this, I just, uh, yeah, I was just absolutely blown away by that. And she's so cute and sexy in this. I just love that quirky thing she does when uh, Bond thinks that he's looks in, you know, and they go in the wine cellar and she just sort of laughs at him. Uh, 
<laughs> kind of laughs it off. And anybody that's middle-aged like me as a bloke, you know, if you talk to any younger women like that, you know, you get that kind of, uh, that kind of comeback, you know, it's just like, no chance, pal. So that's quite funny. I do love Ben Whishaw's cue in this. Again, they use him a, a heck of a lot in this film. And uh, he has quite a lot of involvement in the plot as well in terms of, yeah, just figuring what's going on. I love the bit with the USB stick when he puts it in the sandbox. He's obviously learned from Skyfall. I just thought that was such a neat little nod in the uh, in the film where he does that. And, uh, yeah, there's obviously the part where it's, you know, it's sort of insinuated that he's homosexual. I mean, I, I actually thought that from Skyfall, to be honest, with, uh, with Ben Wishaw doing it. Obviously, the actor is homosexual as well, and I just thought... Yeah, you see, I think even in Skyfall, it's alluded uh, that he, he kind of likes Bond immediately and he's got a little bit of a torch for him. I think Inspector, there's, there's obviously a nod to that as well, a bit more so. You know, if you've got an issue with that, I mean, uh, again, you just need to get over yourself. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's obviously paying uh, some service. To, I guess, I hate that term, walk, but you know what I mean. It's obviously uh, just shaking up the uh, queue for the modern age, but um, not absolutely no issue with that at all. And Ben Wishaw is absolutely awesome. Just can't get enough of the guy. The bit in Norway when he's doing the uh, the speech with Madeline. I mean, I love emotional stuff like that in Bond, especially when Bond is being so emotional like that. I absolutely love that stuff. And uh, I was well enough at that bit when he's doing that speech to her. And uh, I do love Leah Sado in this as well. I think she's even... Uh, when I saw Spectre last week, I kind of got more out of Leah, you know, watching it. I thought... Because she's quite cold with him, Inspector, at the start. You know, I didn't like her a lot in that. I do like the actress. I think she's gorgeous. But I think in this, she's absolutely pitch perfect. Um, it makes more sense that he's, he's fallen for Dr. Swan, you know. And uh, I just found the... There is a little bit of an age gap there, but I found it, you know, more more believable. And uh, I could kind of get into that more and buy into this particularly more. They just seem to get on better as, uh, as actors and... Uh, they know each other better and uh, yeah she absolutely nails it I do think Safin is good I mean the actor's obviously been in a lot of stuff I saw him in 24 back in the day doing a small part and I said to Jane you know that, that guy's a good actor you know he's going to do well and he's obviously has done well and he's done loads of good stuff I still wish that Blofeld was the main body. you know after Safin's done his bit you know I think if you have then have Blofeld uh, get Inspector back for himself again and being the big honcho I think that would have been better and personally that's what I would have done the Doctor's quite a funny part I mean I don't like the fact that they make him a little bit comic obviously what he does is a sinister kind of thing you know what he's all about they don't, they don't need to make him a jokey part like that it doesn't sit with, well, with me at all uh, the nanobots thing I think it could have just been the uh, genetic warfare thing I got the feeling that they're going to do a plot like this in this film I've been talking about them doing something like this for years, you know, something like, obviously, what, what Drax does, you know, with that kind of thing. You know, it's just such a sinister plot uh, for Bond and it makes it high stakes. So you need to have something that's going to uh, make such a big impact on the world. They could have just done the genetic warfare instead of the nanobots, but it, to make it a bit more science fact, as Cubby would say. But, um, you know, it's still good. And uh, the fact that they make that the, uh, the stakes for Bond at the end where he can't see... You know, Madeline and uh, Matilda anymore because of what uh, Safin has done. I just thought that was so well done, and I just think it's um, you know well done to the guys for what they did there with that. You know, you got the uh, feeling that something like that was coming up when he gets handed that vial, but um, yes, yeah, so it kind of pays that off later, which is uh, which is done well. I mean, the ending. I know a lot of people hate it. Personally, I don't have a massive issue with uh, them killing Bond off. I just wish, um, if you've seen The Sopranos, you know that the, with the, spoiler alert, if you've not seen it, you need to watch it. But the way the, um, 
you have to make your own mind up whether they kill Tony off at the end of The Sopranos because he does a point of view shot where he just fades to black as, as Tony looks up um, at the diner at the end. And they could have done that with this film, you know, just leave you to make your own mind up. I think that would have pissed people off less than killing James Bond off. Uh, I know people, a lot of people hate open endings. I, I love them personally and I would have, that's what I would have done. That would have been my change to this as the missiles come down. It just fades out and cuts to the next scene. So you just don't know what's happened to Bond. And then they just start again with a new film and just hit the uh, the start button again. But so where do they go next with Bond? I mean, obviously they've got to start again with a blank slate. I personally would pick Aiden Turner for the next Bond. I just think he ticks so many boxes. Uh, a few years ago I would have said Fastbender, but I think unfortunately he's bought sailed now because they want a guy for about 10 years to do these films. So I'd go with Aiden Turner. Uh, personally, I do still think, and I'm almost convinced that they've, they've picked Cavill to be the next one. Uh, I've no information on that whatsoever. It's just my my guess, but I think they will go with Cavill. To be honest, he's certainly the most bankable of the uh, the new candidates. Depends, I think, on whether he'll ask too much money because obviously he's he's a big star now. Or even Sam Hogan, who does Outlander, I think he'd be good as well. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd be okay with that as well. To be honest, but um, yeah, how do I score this film? I mean, at the moment, I've got it about fourteenth or fifteenth in my. Uh, Bond chart, if you actually think of some of the other films that that uh, competes with and stands shoulder to shoulder with, that's some going, I mean, that's some compliment for the film, especially some of the films that are below it, uh, that are still, you know, good films, that Bond films that I absolutely love. Uh, I, I, I think this film is excellent. I mean, I, I give it, yeah, with the tweaks I've mentioned, you'd still make Blowfield the main baddie, Blowfield, <laughs> or Blowfield, who knows how Dan calls him, but um, I'd, I'd, I'd give it a strong three out of five, or a seven out of ten. And as I say, it sits about 14th to 15th in my chart. It's kind of, that's where it sort of sat just after I watched the film and a couple of times in. And I watched it at Christmas last year. I think that was about the third time I watched it. And I've watched it a couple of times since. But yeah, I love it. I think it's it's well put together. And it's just a little bit better than I actually anticipated it to be. I knew it'd be about sort of mid-table Dan film. It sits third in my band, uh, Dan's Bond films, uh, just below Casino and Skyfall. But yeah, I like it a lot, and uh, I don't understand the stick that um, people give it. You know, that, that that's your own opinion, so that, that's fine, and I'm cool with that. But for me personally, that's all I can talk about, and I uh, I loved it, and it's been an absolute pleasure to do these uh, cinema showings. I just wish they'd do it for our pals over the overseas, and, uh, you know, they could just even pick, you know, five or six of them, or ten of them, and just uh, stick those in the in the flicks. But um, you've still got time to do that, Ian, so, pl- you know, please, please do that for our pals overseas. And it's been a pleasure doing these, putting into these podcasts for these guys. You know, Tom and Matt are just uh, such nice guys and uh, it's good to be a, a part of these. I'm hoping to do more stuff with them soon. But yeah, thanks for listening and keep checking out Bond stuff. See you later. Hello, it's Patch here, dropping in some thoughts for the final time during this run of Bond on the big screen re-releases. It's been a fun ride, hasn't it? Overall, I believe I've attended about 16 cinema showings out of the 25 Bond films and it was well worth it. So the last and most recent of the bunch is No Time to Die, which I first saw back on the 9th of October last year. My initial thoughts were for the most part positive, though I did come out somewhat baffled and conflicted after witnessing the ending. This is without a doubt the most unconventional Bond film of them all, and dare I say, the most divisive. Yet I've had the opportunity to let the more controversial moments sink in since that first viewing, and after this second viewing at the cinema, being my third overall, I believe I can now say I do rather like this film. Is it perfect? Not at all. Is it the sort of Bond film that's very accessible to any kind of viewer? 
Probably not. Nevertheless, I've gone into it every time to be entertained, and indeed, I was entertained. This time I went in with some friends, one of whom had seen the film and was already a Bond fan, another who hadn't seen the film, but had seen Skyfall and Spectre in the past. So I was very intrigued to see how they would react to it. And we all enjoyed ourselves. It clearly hit the right notes and we were well invested in the character drama that makes up the bulk of this film. Because that's what this film is for the most part. A character study of Bond that dares to take risks and tell something a little different. The impression I get is that the script is trying to tell us that Bond struggles to find a purpose in life. Even when he becomes disillusioned with aspects of the espionage world, he always comes back to it. So why is that? What is the thing in life that gives him fulfilment? Well, simply put, it's the friends and family that he makes. Working with people like Felix Leiter, serving his country and making a change to the world to ensure it's a better place, on behalf of his co-workers at MI6, with whom he formed a close relationship with before he retired. The only slight exception to that was Mallory, whom he clearly didn't spend as much time with, since Judy Dench's M had been his boss for most of his tenure as a spy. Hence that scene between the pair in the office, where Bond comments on the size of the desk, which in reality is a reference to what Bond sees as M's negligence and ego. Even now I can't help but chuckle at Bond's obstinate remarks. He clearly believes he's doing what's right, so he feels he has to make his frustration known to M, even if the latter feels Bond is being disrespectful. It feels like a genuine argument, and one where the audience can sympathise with the viewpoints and attitude of both men, even if in the end Bond is right about Mallory's actions. Anyway, what I was getting at earlier is that Bond is clearly not fulfilled in his retirement without somebody like Madeline for him to love, or his job at MI6 to give him purpose, and that's the most interesting aspect of Bond's arc in the Craig era that culminates here. So without a doubt, I can say that this is one of Craig's best performances in the role. Something else that contributes to that is his relationship with Madeline Swan. Whereas in Spectre it felt forced, here the romantic chemistry has improved significantly, mostly thanks to how Madeline's character is better written this time around. In general, she's just more sympathetic and less cold than she was in Spectre, and the dynamic of giving her a child is actually partly to thank for that. A controversial element, I know, but it has its roots in one of the Fleming novels, so I'm fine with the writers using it to create some emotional resonance. Our main villain, Safin, is played very creepily by Rami Malek, and one of the film's most intriguing aspects, if somewhat underused. There's a lot of time spent building him up, but unlike, say, Donald Pleasance's Blofeld in the end lived twice, who I think made a significant impression because he only appeared at the end and remained mysterious, with Safin it feels like there's something missing. Indeed, I've talked to a few fans who are confused about his motivations, and to be fair, they're not made crystal clear, are they? Though there are some implications in certain scenes. For example, him saying to Mathilde during the quote-unquote torture scene, when he's manipulating Bond's desire to protect his family, and says to her that this is what control looks like, suggests to me that his whole worldview simply imploded after his parents were killed. So his delusion that he can play God by utilising Heracles to shape the world as he sees fit is supposed to make him a tragic, but still evil character. In this regard, it makes him far more engaging than Christoph Waltz's Blofeld was in the last film, Nevertheless, I'm convinced that a proper explanation for his motivations remain on the cutting room floor. Without a doubt, this is Jeffrey Wright's best outing as Felix Leiter. Unfortunately, it looks like it's also going to be his last, because 
well, you know. The chemistry between Craig and Wright is off the charts here, and you really believe that the pair are very best friends. It's even implied that they've been on many missions prior to this film, so perhaps there were more adventures in between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall? Who knows, because this continuity is effectively over. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Christoph Waltz's Blofeld makes his final appearance here. And it's a mixed bag. He hasn't really done much to improve his performance in Spectre, but again, maybe the characterization is to blame for that too. I don't mind the confrontation between him and Bond and Belmarsh, it's fine. And the fact that he dies so suddenly with the die, Blofeld, die line calling back to Fleming's Young Live twice doesn't irk me as I never really care for this Blofeld in the first place. I will say that he's marginally better in No Time to Die, as I just love the idea of him using the electronic eye to control the Spectre meeting from prison. It's such a fantastically fun idea that it just ticks the right boxes for me, you know. Maybe he could have been the main villain instead of Safin, but would I really want Blofeld to be the one who triumphs over Bond? I'm not so sure. So, what about those highlights of the package? Well, obviously, the pre credit sequence for starters, Yes, it's a bit long and maybe we didn't need all of the sequences to go before the title sequence, but hey, Kerry Fuganaga directs it well and there's a real sense of intensity and panic as soon as Vesper's grave blows up. It was like that on my first cinema viewing, and it was like that here again. Even my friends seemed to be on the edge of their seat. A great Aston Martin vehicle chase taking advantage of the winding roadways of the Matera location and the emotional stakes in regard to Madeline's loyalties towards Bond. And amazingly, the conversations during the scene don't feel out of place. Maybe it's because it's not exposition and rather character drama. And yes, everyone's favourite set piece no matter whether you love or hate the film, the Cuba segment with Paloma. Is there anything that can be said about Anna de Armas' engaging performance that hasn't already been said? I think the film deserves this more light-hearted action set piece, just to rein in a tad the rest of the gloomier tone it otherwise has. It feels like something straight out of one of the Brosnan films, and I can't complain about that. Then of course, the Norway vehicle chase and the atmospheric confrontation in the forest. I love the cinematography here especially, makes the location feel very claustrophobic. And who doesn't love the way Bond dispatches of Logan Ash, thereby avenging Felix? Very for your eyes only. Oh. And the fight between Bond and Logan Ash on the boat? That's pretty brutal too, even if it was apparently done a lot by the stunt doubles. So despite what I said about the lack of clarity on Safin's motivations, I overall do enjoy the third act. 
even more so on this big screen viewing. It's just great to have a proper classic Bondian villain's lair in the vein of the volcano base for our two heroes to infiltrate. I haven't mentioned Lasana Lynch's Nomi much yet, but I liked her too simply for the fact that she's the first rival agent to team up with Bond since Wei Lin in Tomorrow Never Dies. And for once there's no romance because that's Madeline's role as the leading lady. She's just very cool and the typical Bondian trope of witty back and forth one-upmanship that eventually leaves her respect between the pair is well utilised here. I did detect a few laughs in the cinema when she asked which 00 number had been reassigned to Bond. Anyway, I've already mentioned the confrontation scene with Bond and Safin, but the other strong point is the stairway fight. Taking a leaf from Sam Mendes, it brilliantly lasts for one continuous shot, totally putting you, the viewer, in the midst of the atmosphere, as if you're actually there with Bond. There's also quite possibly the best quip that Daniel Craig has made as Bond throughout his tenure. I just showed someone your watch cue, really blew their mind. And his expression as he says that is utterly priceless. Now I could talk for a while about the ending, but at this point it's been discussed to death, hasn't it? Nevertheless, I enjoyed the journey that leads up to the ending. I loved seeing Craig's Bond grow and evolve to become emotionally deep and yet still the world's greatest secret agent as we know him. This film, at least for me, still provides all the right thrills and other emotions to make me come out of the cinema feeling overall satisfied. And hey, the Craig films are set in another continuity, so Bond will return. He just won't be played by Daniel Craig. I'll sure miss him as Bond, but I look forward to whichever other fellow Eon casts next. Anyway, so what about Hans Zimmer's score? Well, before I recorded this, I listened through to the whole thing, and honestly, I've got to say this is probably the best score we've had since Casino Royale. Whilst Thomas Newman's scores for the previous films weren't bad, they were a little more traditional action film-esque. This one feels a bit more tailored for a Bond film, and as a result, it's a highlight of the overall experience. My favourite tracks would be Message from an Old Friend, Cuba Chase, Good to Have You Back, Home, Norway Chase, and finally, Final Ascent. As for the Billie Eilish track, you know, it's decent. It feels Bondian enough in the right places, though I'm not likely to listen to it as much as other theme songs, as it's a lot gloomier than the more bombastic ones like A View to a Kill. So that's that. I just want to thank the guys at the Really 007 podcast for allowing us all to share our thoughts over the month to celebrate this glorious franchise, which began its cinematic tenure in 1962. Something like this truly feels like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, unless they re-release them for a, another anniversary celebration. Either way, thanks again for listening, folks, and here's to more 007 content to come. Cheers! It's like back when I was a kid. On that shrimp boat. You're from Milwaukee! Am I? I thought I made that up. <laughs>
Hello, this is Chris from the Really 007 podcast, uh, and here's my very short review of No Time to Die. Well, 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 25 weeks later, and here we are. And to quote Ray Purchase, I thought I could smell cheap aftershave and bullshit. I'm not too sure what else I can add to that, to be honest with you. Obviously, with our sort of post-screening review back a year ago, I can't believe it's gone so quickly, we obviously went into, into a fair amount of depth about how our initial feelings were. And I thought that, you know, over time, like a, like a terrible relationship, an abusive relationship, I might be able to um, come to peace with what has, has, has come before but um i really do struggle with this film like i really struggle with specter but you know i respect respecter uh, other people's opinions you know i want to like specter but it just doesn't doesn't work for me but no time to die i was i was really really keen on this one on paper interesting director good writers apart from <coughs> neil and rob um but ultimately it's far too long i don't care what anyone says it's far too long it could be cut down by at least 20 minutes if not more it's pretty so what you know what exactly you know it's like there's plenty of films that look pretty but it's soulless he's trying to wrap things up in a, a really convenient way but at the same time making an absolute hash of it the music from on her majesty service sacrilege I think the, uh, I think the shoehorning Madeline into this, this, trying to make us believe that they're in love, don't buy it. Daniel Craig acting, is he? Sometimes. Sometimes you just feel like he's just like wandered onto set. It's uh, quite an interesting performance when you look at how committed he seems in, you know, Casino Royale and Skyfall. He seems to be really, you know, finding his feet and everything. But as a performance, yeah, bizarre. I could go on. I'm not because I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to have some sort of, I need to watch my blood pressure. Anyway, 25 weeks. What a series. Ups and downs. Stuff that I absolutely love. Stuff that I could do without, you know. But overall, I love the series. And anyway, here's the Bond 26. Let's see what that looks like. Hopefully it can't get any worse. But anyway, try to be positive. Yeah, anyway, see you soon. Hey everybody, so this is the last one. It's Dom here once again with my thoughts on No Time to Die. I don't want to give a normal film review here covering the plot as normal, so I'll try my best not to do that as I think people will do that better than me. This came to us with incredibly high expectations. We had five years of build-up, a lot of stories in the media and stuff, Danny Boyle coming to direct the film, which I could get behind after train spotting in his previous films. And then leaving the project for whatever reasons, created differences. And then anyway, Fukunaga comes in. I think, you know, he's a young director. He could be up and coming. So it was interesting to see what we could conjure up here. The soundtrack had issues in production and Zimmer came in very late and did it in a few months, I think. But to be honest, Zimmer's been around for a long time. He's done so much stuff. Pirates of the Caribbean, Simpsons movie just Batman, done a lot of stuff, so I was very excited to see what he'd come up with. But to be honest, it, he played it safe, and nothing really stands out apart from Back to MI6. That scene, oh my god. Watching that in the cinema, I didn't actually go this time, but on the first time of watching, I was like a little kid at Christmas, a Cheshire cat grinning when I heard that, oh my goodness. So anyway, 
There's been no film for five years for various reasons beyond its control, so it was all set up for an amazing climax. And Craig's last film after basically Spectre was going to be his last, but he was convinced to come back. So where do we start with this? I mean, I watched it, it messed with my head after watching it, to be honest. I'm sure it messed up a lot of heads, to be honest. And you have to remember, this film was done before COVID came along. Even before everything went mad in the world, it was just, they decided to do this. I tried so hard to like it, I just, I went to the cinema twice in the first couple of weeks. I rented it on Apple TV. I bought the Blu-ray, because you've got to have the Blu-rays, to be honest. So, I watched it maybe once on Blu-ray, but once was enough. I just... I can't deal with it, to be honest, and I don't ever see myself growing to like it like the other films that have changed opinions. I just can't get on with it. It just feels like something has changed here for the worst. I mean, I don't know who we have to blame here, but it feels like Craig has taken a massive dump on the series and what it stands for. The decision alone to kill James Bond was so wrong. I mean, everyone's a critic and we'll all have our own different opinions about this, but... It feels like that was all that's left for for him to achieve. He drove on into the distance. He had his heart broken. He got revenge for the death of Vesper. He lost his boss. So now this just feels like the only thing that it was left for him to do. And right or wrong, I just I can't get my head around it. I mean, some people say it's a masterpiece, but for me, not at all. There's so much stuff wrong here, I don't know how to go into it in detail, but... So, non Majesty's Secret Service stuff, like we have all the time in the world, and the musical cues when he rejoins the service. It's like they were out of ideas or something. Like, I just... I know, I know it's a new tenure for Craig, and it's separate to the rest of the Bond-era stuff, but it just, it just seems to me like they didn't have any ideas left. Saying it at the beginning of the film, driving up in the Aston, it's just a recipe for disaster about what's to come. Remember in On the Majesties, of course, who doesn't? Yeah, it all seems out of place. But the bits that I do like, I mean, I love the way it's shot once again. I know I've said this before, but Fukunaga's directing style here and the camera, it just looks, it looks different to the uh, previous four Craig ones, but I think it looks better in that respect so well done for them to that the pre-title sequence it's actually quite good i do enjoy the pre-titles we got this mysterious guy in the japanese mask who we don't know yet a young madeline and who doesn't it doesn't take long to reveal and then it's a long pre-titles as well i wonder if they could have trimmed it down somewhat but i like all of it really matera and then the um aston martin chase it's like bond's gonna give up once the big gun comes and shoots the windscreen but he doesn't in the end because he's had so much grief and decides to go along with it once again the opening credits that sort of madeline on the train feeling her belly and then the dots the doctor no dots just the throwback there i do like that i don't mind that so much the song i mean it's not the best song but it's so much better than writings on the wall it does it has grown on me to be honest uh billy eilish's song i love the jamaica and cuba stuff the bit where we see the one-eyed villain take bond's toothbrush as the dna source that's very clever it's only until a bit later on where you realize that's happened 
Paloma, of course, is brilliant. Everyone goes on about Paloma. I I will add to that. I think she's fantastic. Back to MI6 stuff before. I think that's pretty good. Bond going there as a visitor and hello 007 or does that bother you? That sort of stuff. It does have a lot of humour in this film. I mean, Craig does play it well. I think it may be even his best performance. The blue eye stuff, it's a bit overdone, but I think they're all overdone, to be honest, in the uh, Craig era. But to be honest, that's probably it. I mean, there's some nice bits here and there, but afterwards, it's pretty long-winded. Almost three hours long in this film, and to be honest, I lose attention towards the end. There's so much wrong here. I mean, Safin, come on. His plot to kill Spectre for killing his family, that's fine. But why does he want to infect the whole world with his Heracles? It's like just gone on a mad rampage. I, I just don't understand. And also wiping out Spectre so easily when really they're probably the biggest villain in the James Bond series. So he just wipes them out with one hit. It's not explained at all properly. The scarring is a nice idea, but he doesn't do anything scary. I mean, Rami Malek is, uh, I don't know if he's Oscar winning, but his performance is Freddie Mercury. You know, he's basically up and coming actor and you should have done a lot more stuff hadn't been for covid but just it hasn't done anything here for me he should have just played dr no instead instead of this new guy safin the timings don't work out of course in the beginning madeline as a young girl and him we don't see his face but anyway the bionic eye in the henchman is just silly with blofeld Having a look at the outside world through it, I just, yeah, it's not good at all. I mean, we can look past these things. We've seen Bond in a clown suit and a double-taking pigeon, but here it just doesn't work for me. You can't imagine the eye actually working without somebody becoming a bit suspicious. The same thing goes for the nanobots. Maybe in the video game, like Everything or Nothing, for instance, but really it's hard to believe here that some gas can just come down from the ceiling and then... They think they're going to get Bond, but instead, all the Spectre's wiped out. Safin isn't too much of a threat once again. They have a little scrap in the paddling pool, but we don't see anything that he does really, to be honest. He is in it at the beginning, then halfway through in London all of a sudden, then in Norway, and then back to the base. I mean, the base looks okay, but we just don't see that much of it in practice. You wonder what's going to happen to the child, another bugbear of mine that I haven't even ripped down, but it's just remembered it now. She bites his finger and then he just lets her go. I know basically he can't hurt children because of this in the beginning, but you mean it's just not very intimidating at all. And it's so annoying that he has to win. I mean, Silver basically completed his mission. This guy, he's completed his mission, but doesn't live to see it. I just don't get why he's in love with Madeleine all of a sudden. He saves her from a frozen lake and then 20, 30 years later he's in love with her. It just doesn't make sense. The meeting between them isn't great, but I do like the dialogue here. It's full of powerful stuff. Bond saying he knows how it feels to have everything taken away, which he does. And then this Heracles stuff is going to take away everyone's chance, so no one gets one. And that's quite powerful in my opinion. Who do we blame here? Do we have to blame the Broccolis or Purvis and Wade? I just, I don't know where to start. Anyway, I feel I've raved on too much about that now, so let's just go into what I think. Bond in this, I think he's really good, to be fair. I mean, you can criticise him all you want, but I think it's probably one of his better performances. It's better than, it's a controversial one, but I think Skyfall, as I 
didn't like his performance in Skyfall a couple of weeks ago. Madeline, I think she's better here than she is in Spectre. It's better written. Safin, just described a lot. Awful what motive. Obrachev, very poor. The comic relief of the film. He's just there for some exposition. Paloma, amazing. Nomi, I mean, we haven't, I haven't even discussed Nomi. She's brilliant as well, to be fair. She stands up to Bond. It's nice that Bond has some competition here and it's not that Bond rules over the female people in this film. Felix is fantastic. It's a shame that he gets killed. Logan Ash, I mean, he's a bit hit and miss. But I think I heard people say that they really like Logan Ash and it's a powerful moment when Bond tips the defender over him to kill him for the death of felix it's nice revenge there um it's basically he could be a baddie in this but i don't feel it's his best performance i think spectre was a lot better to be honest for his performances money penny good as usual q wow fantastic once again his best performance here especially at the end in the plane on the phone to bond and hiding back his emotions i just feel wow what a performance from Ben Wishaw. Tanner, not much apart from the Blofeld scene where he's shouting at him. Although when Bond does die, it's quite funny when they were just showing the MI6 regulars and he's in the background blurred um, behind them and he looks like he's lost an accumulator or something. So that's always quite funny. Blofeld, don't know why they had to bring him back. He's literally in it for five minutes and just says, oh yeah, I'm the author of your pain or he caused the explosion at the graveyard. It's just... He's here because he's probably had a couple of film contracts. I don't know why he's in it, to be honest. Doesn't do enough for me, and Bond just kills him with ease. Not intentionally, he doesn't know, but it's just... I don't know why he's here. He's not scary at all, as people have said. The one-eyed villain Primo, yes, I do enjoy this henchman, to be honest. The death of Bond is done very well. He's been shot a couple of times, but then with the uh, vial being done on him, so he's infected, and then basically Q's asking Q, can he get it off? And then Q says, he knows as well as he does that he can't. So he gives up here, which is very sad to see. And that music, Final Ascent by Zimmer, that's enough to make grown men cry if you watch this scene. I mean, I don't know why they fall in love so much, but with the child there and stuff, and it's very sad. But I mean, it did get me in the cinema the first and second time. But now I'll just watch it and I'm just like, meh. But... Yeah, that scene, if you watch it for the first time, it is enough to bring on a few heart te- heartbreaking tears. So Then the scene with the whiskey glasses and Madeleine and Mathilde driving in the Aston V8 and then all the time in the world starts playing. That is enough to pull on the heartstrings. So yeah, it's just a really sad way to end the Bond film. But at the same time, I want to go to the cinema to be entertained. This is entertaining. But I don't want to leave the cinema feeling upset, you know. I want to come out of the cinema with my fist pumping in the air and, yes, Bond saved the day. But this just leaves me feeling cold and I just don't get any enjoyment out of it. So that's my thoughts on No Time to Die. We'll have to see how it does in a few years' time, but I won't be watching it for a long, 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 long time now. But there we go. Hopefully someone can say something a bit more positive. On to the next one. Cheers, really, 007. Thank you once again. Paloma? You're late. Vamos. Something about a hat? Paris? uh... I I forget things when I get nervous. This is the biggest job I've ever had. 
your room? It's a wine cellar. Okay, come here. Don't you think we ought to get to know each other just a little bit before we, um... Oh, <laughs> I... No, 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 I... Um, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, All right. You do it. Thank you. Do you mind, uh... This is going to go brilliantly. I know. I've done three weeks training. I've just got back from No Time to Die at the cinema and I've got a small glass of Prosecco with me, seeing as I didn't finish it last night. I have to say, there's something very strange about coming out of that one. Like a, like a real sense of finality, which I didn't have last time. I, I do think it's because I've watched the others at the cinema. You know, the ending really made me think about the Craig films and although I'm definitely not the biggest fan of them, they are so hit and miss for me. It is nostalgic and I, I don't think I really felt like that last year, but you know, it was a good, you know, 15 years starting from when I was, what, 11? So as much as I would love to be like, you know, Brosnan is, you know, the Bond that I grew up with, I really did grow up with Craig as well. Speaking of him, I, I do think his performance is excellent, apart from a couple of dodgy lines here and there, but I do think part of that's uh, the actual script. I don't think there's a, there's a couple, there's great ways to deliver, you know, die, both Blofeld die in a way that doesn't sound like he's trying to be, you know, Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons. I do, I, I think he's, I think he's so, his face can be extremely expressive and I just, you know, I, that, the whole realisation at the end about what's, what Saffin's done to him, he sells it because you just get that look of realisation and just kind of like, oh God, you know, his, his, you know, something that's keeping me from my family you know throughout the film he's excellent with humor he is love his sass with m of course the emotional scenes um his you know his physicality everything that he does i mean there's no there's nothing that i believe is truly wrong with with his performance what i really appreciate about this film is that you know the supporting characters are likable and you know you kind of like having them all on screen whether they are good or bad um, I'd say the only character that kind of is frustrating to watch is is Safin because he's just not that great, and it, it's it's annoying that he's the one um, who kind of does bond in. Essentially, it's annoying that someone who's kind of at his level, who we don't really get a lot of, even though we do, but we don't. We know a lot about him, but I feel like we really don't get enough you know especially because he's on the, that like personal level with um madeline you know in her past and blofeld's past uh, well spetz's past you kind of want there to be more there but i just don't think he gets enough you know blofeld's also frustrating but i feel like he's so not in the movie that much that it doesn't really matter to me at this stage you know i i wrote on twitter when i did my usual you know cinema post about this that this does feel like the final you know, combination of classic Bond with modern Bond. I feel like it's been building up to that more so since Skyfall than since Casino Royale. But really from Skyfall onwards, you kind of feel that sense of momentum of, oh, more elements being added here. Some people find it quite jarring. I I don't have an issue with it because it just feels like the natural progression of things. Um, similar in a way to kind of the original 60s films about how what Dot Snow is like compared to You Won't Live Twice, what Live and Let Die is to Moonraker. There's things like that there. You know, even Golden Eye to Die Another Day, you know, you can see that the 
the great difference there whether that's the use of gadgets the kind of the over the top scale of the villain's plots so i really don't mind that and i don't mind uh, the deaths at this stage either so i mean i'll start with blofeld because that's the quickest he's just not that great in in this iteration this iteration of blofeld's just not that great and so i'm fine with him just being out it was an all of these deaths were kind of annoying at first but now i'm just kind of I'm so just over it. I feel I feel like I've grieved and moved on. And I'm just going, right, okay, well, this is the last chapter of this particular book, uh, of this story, of this, you know, this is the final book in this set. So I really don't mind at this point. Felix's death, I think, makes you think that, one, maybe anyone's fair game for being killed, or two, just gets you into a false sense of security that Bond will be okay. I will say, I mean, this is, this is Jeffrey Wright's best performance as as Felix and it's his you know best appearance since License to Kill could be his you know best appearance overall um it's definitely up there um I get the brotherly love I get the camaraderie I love how light-hearted Felix is I feel like we've not had that in a while so to just kind of see it and you know see what what he brings out in Bond is is truly excellent in terms of Bond's death I really am over it I really feel like you know it is what it is I've always seen Craig's era as being adjacent to everyone else. I said that um, in the first recording, I think, but it really does feel like the Star Trek thing, you know, where it's like, this is one timeline, that's another, this one's ended by that, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm totally fine with it it does make me feel sad i don't want to see bond die but if any bond was gonna die i would rather it be this one than anyone else i mean he is put through the ringer and i know i got a little bit frustrated i know many other people did too by the fact of bond didn't try to get out or to try to fight and i just feel like people maybe just need to think a little bit more because I think of all the things that we've seen him go through over these five films and potentially other things that we've not seen as well. Um, he's been to told that he's too old two films ago, that he's passed it, then he's back, then he's out again. He's fallen in love. He's been betrayed. Well, thinks he's been betrayed. Wasted five years because of that. Had the death of his you know, best friend, um, his mother figure, um, the, the destruction of his childhood home, that's on top of all the stuff that happened during his childhood, everything that happened with Vesper, um, his beginnings as a double O, Spectre, the reveal of Blofeld that he's been toying with, with Bond's life, his near death in Casino, his near death in Skyfall, his near death in Spectre, you know, and, and in this one, you know, he was shot several times, has very limited time to get off the island, finds out he can't be with his family. I know I was I, I was definitely one of those ones who was like, oh, well, he could have got off and he could have waited to see if a cure would happen. But I just feel like at this point, I mean, you've got to be mentally checked out. I mean, how you could go through all of that stuff that I've mentioned and come out of it thinking oh yeah i need to continue on i think he was fine with knowing that they were fine and he was happy knowing that madeline didn't betray him that he has a child and that madeline's a good mother is is what i believe and i just think he's he's content with that he's done what he needed to do basically everyone who was shaping his life for the for the worst is, is gone and the ones the the key people who he needs to continue on are fine and you know i don't know he could have got off the island and died of blood loss he could have gone into the ocean he could have drowned i don't know like there's all that those things and i just think at that point he's just like well do you know this is it i'm i'm done in a way i can respect i can respect it <laughs> other people will completely disagree that's absolutely fine but you know there's a point 
in everyone's lives where you just go right that's enough <laughs> and i think this was you know his you know i'm done moment so i am fine with it and you know if i if i speak about this the series as a whole now after you know watching this film i could go over about other characters and scenes and music in this film but you know a lot of the stuff you know it is what i've already mentioned i love i love paloma i love primo i love to hate um logan ash is it volchak can't remember his name properly but he's funny i enjoy him i think nomi is definitely better after watching this film a few times i i do like her character what she does mi6 regulars are great i like that m's a moody bastard that you know he's kind of in this gray area of oh he's not really done a good job but he's not completely bad and he's trying to fix it the soundtrack I, i've i've enjoyed since the first time i saw it heard it i think hans Zimmer did a great job and all the people that he worked with love the use of the bond theme the use of no time to die it was also nice to kind of like hear billy eilish's vocals in the film as well which for whatever reason i just didn't even click that that was her but it is um after watching that sound of 007 documentary it all makes sense <laughs> but yeah speaking of the franchise as a whole you know where we are now with this because i know it's very easy to kind of think oh this franchise is kind of hit a wall that is kind of stuck and that there's not it's very difficult to see kind of like a positive future and, a, and kind of like the light at the end of the, of the tunnel i think what no time to die does is honestly i think it breathes life into the franchise and i know that sounds crazy but what it does by completely kind of like shutting down that bond and closing off this era it completely just kind of opens you up to doing a new bond and, and doing it however you want and to me that's exciting and yes we're not getting news fast <laughs> in terms of how this is going i mean um i was made aware that aaron taylor johnson walked right past me at the royal albert hall um the other day i was there for the concert and the fact that i didn't see him uh, really hurts me <laughs> because he literally walked right past me and it took someone else pointing it out to make me realize hey ho but i mean potential bond there there's so much to look forward to in the future and i think we're, we're we've been used to waiting a long time in between films now um and it's a shame it is but i think there's a lot of good stuff to come I, you know i think the art they understand what they've done i'm hoping that they do i think there's been a lot of celebration because of the 60th but i think now with with amazon with kind of them putting you know some behind the scenes stuff in place and just getting fully prepared i would rather give them the time so that they can actually map this out plan it make it you know make it really worthwhile and not rushing into something i'm at peace with that you know we've got 25 films official films we've got other films we've got other media we've got all all of these fun um projects as well there's a lot going on there's the video game there's more books coming out there's just the, things are happening i think to to call this franchise you know to say that it's like in the water or it's dead it's not and i think you know i can understand that position because i think two years ago i think we all would have thought oh god this film's not coming out we don't we can't see what this future is going to be we know it's daniel craig's last one what what happens from here on out but I really do feel a lot, and it's a lot, I'm a lot more confident about this than, you know, this time last year when No Time to Die initially came out. I'm really positive that we will have some great stuff to come. So if I was going to, you know, leave everyone with, with everything, it's that, you know, enjoy what has come and just really take everything in. I've been incredibly lucky to watch all 25 of the Eon Bond films on the big screen this year. And it's been a crazy one um and i've got to thank everyone who i've spoken to about this you know 
the really 007 guys for watching these with me uh, when we've been able to watch them together and for everyone listening for listening to me uh, talk about each and every one of them um, whether I've thoroughly enjoyed them or not. I mean, there's stuff to enjoy about every Bond film, we know this. I think we would have to be pretty delusional to say that there's nothing to enjoy about any of the Bond films. There's something in there for everyone. And I just think we are in a really great position. It may not seem like that now, but I, I really believe that we are. But no, thank you everyone. This has been a terrific ride. I'm just glad that the Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris trailer has not been in this one. I actually missed all the trailers, so so she could have been in there. I don't think she was, though, because the release date's passed, although she did appear in Spectres showing, so when I thought that that was going to be my last Bond film on the big screen, I did, uh, I, I, I felt uh, a bit rubbish because I thought, oh, no, she's here. Uh, but no, thank you again, everyone. It's been wonderful. Thank you to Tom and the Really, really 007 guys for, for having me on here every week gabbing on and on and on and on yeah hopefully we'll get the films back in cinemas again soon or someday um it would always be nice to go back to some of them maybe not all of them and now i just need to get casino royale 67 and never say never again out of the way (laughs) at some point so i hope you've all had a wonderful time watching these films and i will be speaking to you all very soon i'm sure i thought this might interest you sometimes options can be more evocative than memories do anything for you because i am a man willing to kill the person you love most i've already lost everyone i've ever loved there is nothing you can threaten me with that is very sad to hear madeline but this is not true Hi guys, this is Liam in Hartlepool again for my thoughts on No Time To Die, having seen it on Sunday night. Um, Maybe found it more enjoyable than I did the first time round. There are bits that did seem better, but ultimately I just don't feel like I can forgive the ending. So it's maybe improved a little bit and it was good to see it again on the big screen, but overall I just can't forgive what they did with it. Besides that, I wanted to give some thoughts more on what this has meant as a whole. Being able to see so many of these films that I've loved for many years on the big screen has been such a lift. Uh, something I've looked forward to every week. I joked with the mate that I've been going to see the films with that this is going to be quite strange come this coming 
Sunday. We're not meeting up to go to the cinema. We're not going to see a great Bond film, or in the case of this one, maybe a not so great one. But it has been really uplifting and something that I've really enjoyed. And just a shame we haven't got any more to go and see, really. Thanks. Right, so I am back now from seeing No Time to Die at the cinema. The first impression I was thinking was that I've now seen it three times all at the cinema, so I've never seen it on the small screen. How weird is that? So I wonder whether it'll be any different. You can often come to things in a different way when you're sat down and you can, I don't know, pause it and think about it. The three times I've seen it, it's just been a massive visceral experience from start to finish, and it's, it is a very engaging film. I don't think anyone could really argue that it doesn't work on that level, that the sound, the sights, the, the feel, the grandiose scale of it, it's very well paced, even though it's nearly three hours long. I think you could say that Spectre is far more sluggishly paced and it's shorter than this film. So, you know, credit due to Kerry Fuganaga and the, the two editors for, for doing a great job in that respect. But, yeah, I, the, the problem is, it, it, as Rob has often said, it does just feel a bit forced and a bit cheap how it all comes together. Really, you're left scrambling for ideas. Hang on, no, 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 you don't need to die. Please, what are you doing, Bond? This is ridiculous. To be honest, when I was watching it, it felt... I've never thought about this before. It felt a bit like a James Cameron film. It felt like Terminator 2. Because it was... Very, in terms of the lighting, in terms of the sound, in terms of the action, and in terms of the story, it's like this sort of sci-fi trying to save the world and talking about time and everything. And, of course, the hero self-sacrificing at the end. Obviously, even though he was a robot, that was far more emotional than my favourite character of all time in this film, somehow. And I don't even think it's Daniel Craig's fault. I think he does his best in terms of the performance. And I do agree with Rob that it clearly was Oscar bait. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that, that happens in the industry all the time. And a lot of brilliant films have also been Oscar bait. And very showy performances can be very good performances. It's a really unusual performance because it's so up and down in terms of the tone. You could sort of analyse every little step of it. That Why is Bond acting like this now? Why is he acting like this now? Because... He is really, really unlikable in the way he deals with Madeleine at the start for me. The complete shunning of her, Chucky on the bed, accusing her of all sorts. Again, the guy has obviously made no progress in regards to trust over all these years. To immediately think it's her, like he says later, he doesn't know her at all. Now, the problem with that is it's good for that kind of storyline, but then if a few minutes later we're meant to believe that these two are destined together, they've spent very little time together over the last five years. They've spent presumably a little bit of time in between Spectre and No Time to Die. You know, they're on this holiday to Italy. Is that where is that where Madeline and Matilda go at the end, just, just out of interest? And are they... Is it in Bond's other car? I don't know. I don't know whether they... There's at one stage where... Is it Safin who describes her as Bond's wife? But that sort of makes an interesting suggestion. I hadn't picked up on that line before, that this is the love of his life in a non-Tracy timeline type of way. The stuff with the kid, because she's such a good actress, and it's bizarrely handled. What on earth? I, obviously, watching it again now, you see the sort of hand on the, the belly just before the titles. There's so much to explore, and okay, normally I'd say show, don't tell, which this does a lot of, because we don't really know why... We don't really know why Madeline didn't tell him all this time. You know, even if he said... <laughs> 
I don't want to speak, see you ever again, which is really awful of him. The fact that she's had a kid, you know, and she knows it's his is a bit, it's pretty bad of her not to do that, in my opinion. So I shoot, is that the same house that they go to in Norway as in the pre-title sequence, the very first scene? I assume it is. So that's inherited from Mr. Wyam. I mean, for being silly then, you know, that, that would obviously have been cordoned off as a, you know, murder scene. Why, why would she want to revisit all that? If you know, where she, she saw her mum be murdered, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to keep that, would you? Anyway, but that's, again, for cinematic purpose, it works well. The, just the love story, it's, it's good performances, and I, I, I feel bad that Leah Sadoos gets a bit of bad press for her performance. I think it's a perfectly decent uh, decent. Yeah, I can't speak. Decent pre- performance, reacting effectively to all the awful things that Safin and Bond are doing to her. She ends up really with she can't quite believe that Bond's giving up. It's still pre- a pretty complicated scenario that that Bond thinks he has to die, or he can't. If it was that he was wounded too much from Safin, then fair enough. It's a great way to, for him to die if he has to die by. Opening those things, you know, Mayday did it much better, didn't she? It was effectively a bit like that, where you have to hold on to that, otherwise it would blow up the whole mine and everything would go. But because she holds on to it and leaves the mine, it only kills her, which is an amazing idea and brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly executed from everybody involved. And this is ge- is gearing towards that. I thought that was what was going to happen, even though it would be a bit of a copy. It's one of the only ways you can justify Bond dying to save everyone. Now, yes, he does He does save everyone because he... Does he? I'm trying to think now. Yeah, he opens the things, doesn't he? Otherwise, it would blast off. That's the justification. That's the sort of hero thing that he does. And obviously, he's killed all his guards, and that's great and everything, and stopped the operation from getting any further. Because it... Presumably, though, if those boats got there, there's no real rush for this, is there? There's no rush. If the boats got there, they'd see that everyone had fled. They'd see that everything was blown up. They were, well, that, by now so the ticking clock doesn't really work if you think about that so we're really left with very little reasons why Bond dies other than this thing that this poison on him which is different from the nanobots is it I can't even remember now all the different type of nanobots it's it's jolly complicated to try and explain this and if you're a passerby just watching this Bond film it's done quite in a rushed way so that it's sort of explained very quickly at the end and it's just not it's just not a satisfactory death for me. You know, the the brilliant music, the sort of shots, the hero shots. It's obviously going for that current trend of blockbusters like Logan and all these other ones where oh yes, we can kill the main character and Iron Man was obviously the biggie that must have tipped it in, in the favour. Even though I know Daniel Craig said he always wanted to do that. And it is, you know, it's a, it's an interesting idea. Could Bond die? presuming that he's allowed to return in some form, in another form again. I didn't feel an awful lot at the end. I think the, the most I feel is when you see Q's face and he, and he realises that's it and Bond is infected and that he real you know, he's like, ah, oh, it's really good acting how he says, oh, can I speak to Madeline and Matilda? Yes, of course, I was so stupid. You know, because he, 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 you can tell that Q really cares for Bond and he, he really wants to have this last say, allow him the last say with... Madeline, but but on the Matilda, hardly. Why doesn't she tell her what what's that? Because that's like a a joke, an off the cuff joke where she's not yours. She says it twice. So when Safin reveal, he's the one who reveals that it is really Bonds. A, how does he know? And B, 
Is that it? Is that the tw- you know? Is that how the audience were meant to find out? Surely that wasn't intended because it's too matter of fact, isn't it? And so the audience would think, oh no, he, he's just saying that because you know he's with you and it's his stepchild or whatever. I I really don't know. And and then it's barely confirmed as they're dying, and it's like, well, you should be angry really. How you've just been denied? You've just been living in Jamaica for no reason in retirement, not helping anybody when you could have been growing up with your daughter. So it's very, it's a very depressing situation because Bond would have loved that, of course he would. It's a, a very pacey film, like I say, it rattles along. The, the stuff and material is really well filmed. It feels good in terms of, you know, the sound and the, the, the noise of the engines and the stunts that are going on. It's all good stuff. And then I like how we, we start with the, the main plot. The, the plot did feel more integrated into the story, I have to give that credit this time, because if you think that first scene where the, those baddies, I presume they're Safin's men, who were with Primo, who was in it a lot more than I remembered, they're, they're you know, trying to steal that, that thing, the Heracles stuff. So it is really bookending the whole thing after the pre-title sequence, it's all about that. It's not explained why Primo is working for both. The eye thing is just is just. I mean, they, they must have thought, how on earth can we get somehow Blofeld still doing stuff if he's in prison? Because there's no way he'd be let out of prison. It, it becomes a bit Hannibal, doesn't it? If it or Sons of the Lambs, if he escapes from prison, and then they thought, oh, hang on, he's got that eye, you know, and that is it. It just happens to tie in that you could fit. And I, honestly, I don't know how. It's just they just about get away with it because they they treat it with the right amount of silliness. But, you know, the, the overall tone of the film is serious, that he, Blofeld is awful. But it's such a shame that in these two films we don't see Blofeld do anything, do we? What do we actually see him do? And Christoph Waltz is such a good actor and he's got real menace. And even in this scene, the Hannibal Lecter scene in this film, he's, it's like, go on, just do it a bit more. Just We want to hear a few more good lines and it just never, it never goes anywhere. It, it sounds like it's going to be some amazing... Reveal about Madeline, but I don't. I don't know why would Blofeld care about that because it's Safin's thing. I really don't know. It just gets me nuts. I get confused, and that that sudden thing where he goes in and sort of strangles slash hugs him slash says die Blofeld. I just it's just ridiculous and it's out of character of Bond. It's just a plot device. But Blofeld's death is a plot device in the end. And luckily for them, because the tying themselves in knots with all these multiple plot strands. It does get that good gag from Hugh that, you know, nanobots are not just for Christmas because of the, you know, don't worry, he's only a stepbrother. That's, so that's the reason why. He so that's like a plant, obviously, that if you do get infected with it, your family, is that? I, I think that's it, isn't it? That's why Bond uh, doesn't save himself at the end. I think Felix and Logan Ash, I love them. I think they're great characters in it. I really enjoy Anna Diamas. I think she's superb. The Cuba scene... Is very good. It's a bit silly. It's a bit. It does look like a soundstage because it's all within one block. It just you doesn't really feel like you're there. As, as good as it is, the the stage and everything, the production design. It's obviously added in. It's sort of just to to stick together the two plot elements of Blofeld's plots and the eye and the you know the nanobot stuff. And I don't know. It, it's. <laughs> it, I, t- I did enjoy it though. After, despite saying all this, I did enjoy it. I was gripped. I was never bored. I've heard people, that, you know, I've heard people say who were casual, not even Bond fans at all, say, "Yeah, they really enjoyed it. Yeah, they, it was good, good film, good Bond film." So, 
I can understand why people really like this film and I can understand why people absolutely detest it and there's very good reasons for both and again it always goes into that what's your attitude going into the film my attitude going into it was I don't want to know anything about it I'd be interested to listen back to our thoughts before and after because we made predictions and it's it's always going to be a difficult secret to keep that Bond dies but it almost undoes the rest of the good stuff that the film has achieved because it will be remembered, for everyone who's seen it, it will be remembered as the film that killed Bond, you know, the one where Bond dies, when there's a lot of good stuff in it before then, that, and there's a lot of controversial stuff in it before then. I think Safin is, is, has real menace, but the character just doesn't make sense for me. I don't get the... I don't get that that title's... Why do we need to go into Madeline's... A flashback of Madeline? It's, it'd be one thing to have a flashback for Bond, but a flashback for Madeline, who wasn't particularly well-received Inspector and is now the love interest. She is she is better, her character makes more of an impact and of course she will do with all the plot devices that are going on around. But, and the gun barrel, I didn't realise that it it went from the white Universal logo into the white of the, the gun barrel, I didn't realise that. And I've heard people say as well, I think it was Alan Church, say that you don't want to see the gun. Bond's carrying the gun as he's walking in the gun barrel. The whole point is that you know the shock of it. I know we, we there's no shock anymore because it's sixty years old. But he's just walking, and then he suddenly turns to the screen and he gets out a gun and shoots. It's a brilliant, brilliant idea. And now you know there's no bu- there's no bullet, there's no blood. Sorry, there's no there's no impact of it. But at least we had one. That's all we can say. And the music again starts way before the start of the gun barrel because it should be a, like this: the license to kill one. Wham! You're in there. That incredible. <laughs> Dad. And this, it's sort of easing into it during the MGN Lion and the Universal logo. So again, it loses the impact. But I don't really like criticising it too much because I did have a good time. And if it wasn't a Bond film, I'd be like, that was a bit silly, but it was pretty, pretty impressively shot, pretty well filmed, exciting blockbuster. Yes, okay, it might have gone a bit weepy and teary and Oscar baity at the end, but you know, it, it did what it set out to do and I have to give No Time To Die credit for that I just wish it felt more like a Bond film and I just wish I had confidence that the filmmakers knew what they were doing all along because they tied themselves into knots with Spectre unnecessarily and now the only way out of it was to kill Bond and start again so we've just got to wait and see what happens in this next year or two because who knows well we know Purvis and Wade are on board still so we've got them at least we got them Michael G. Wilson hasn't stepped down yet too, so there will be continuity, there will be more controversial decisions coming up, I'm sure, but we're all Bond fans, I'm going to keep watching this film, I enjoy watching it, a lot of it annoys me, but it's another Bond film, it's the 25th, and it's the end of this run at the cinema, which is quite sad, I've been really excited each week to go and see a new Bond film that I haven't seen at the cinema before, I'll have to get used to watching them on the the small screen now which is how I was brought up with them, so I'm looking forward to that. So you're not dead? Hello, Q. I've missed you. Mmm, that smells great. Were you expecting somebody? Um, no. What? Excuse me. Oh. This is the first time I... He'll be here in 20 minutes. I can't take my focus off... I need you to tell me what's on that. No, I need to lay the table. You know... They come with fur these days. I want to be very clear that I am not authorised to help you. And I have sworn... It's to do with Heracles. 
presume Emma doesn't know that this is happening. No, but there's something going on, Q. We need to find out what it is. It's never nine to five, is it? No Time to Die simply couldn't be done justice in just one episode. So listen out now for part two. Really Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.